Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is Dr. Hannah Critchlow reporting for the Naked Scientists at the Federation of European Neuroscience Societies Conference in Spain, where over 7,000 neuroscientists from around the world have converged to discuss neuroscience findings fresh from the research labs. Here's a snapshot roundup of some of the highlights from the third full day of the meeting. More extensive interviews will be published with these speakers after the conference. First up, an exciting new technology combining the power of light, genetic manipulation and microbiology to switch brain and behaviour on or off. Professor Carl Disseroff from Sanford University explains. This uh, tool is called optogenetics, uh, and it's something we've been working on since 2004. What we found all the way back then was that we could put uh, genes from microorganisms like single-celled algae and ancient forms of bacteria into brain cells, into neurons. And by doing this, we turned the brain cells into a form that we could control them by light. We could actually turn them on or turn them off with pulses of light. And the the way this works is these proteins that we take from microorganisms, they respond to light and they move ions. They move charged particles. Uh, This is, of course, electricity. The movement of charged particles is electricity. So what these, these proteins from these microorganisms do is they actually turn light into electricity. Now, electricity is the currency of information flow in the brain. And so what this means is that these unwitting organisms have made for us the perfect tool to turn light into information that the brain understands. And that's an incredibly uh, exciting and thrilling uh, opportunity. So Carl was able to turn on the electrical activity between nerve cells, getting them to communicate in a particular way in a Petri dish. He's been tweaking this technology over the last eight years and can now switch on or off the activity of connections in the brain of live, intact, behaving, moving mammals. Using this technique, he is now able to almost instantaneously initiate or eradicate anxiety behaviours in mice to tell us what anxiety actually is. The brain has well-set-up mechanisms to turn anxiety up or down uh, within seconds. Uh, And this, of course, is important because we know that The treatments for anxiety, many of these act very slowly. They take hours, days, weeks, or even months to to reach their full effect. And this has led to the uh, belief that anxiety might not be something that is regulated in real time by the brain, that it might be a more structural or chronic or unchangeable or only slowly changeable aspect of the brain. In reality, anxiety is something that it seems the brain uh, uh, seeks to regulate in real time uh, as the organism moves from one environment to another. And by identifying a very precise connection that implements this anxiety-related behavioral change, what we've been able to do is really show that there's a, a physical, biological 
concrete basis to anxiety. This new technique is opening up our understanding of brain and behaviour and has empowering impacts for patients as they get to understand their disease a little better. Sticking with electrically switching on the brain, Professor Damien Dennis at Amsterdam University has been stimulating human brains by inserting electrodes into the brains of patients suffering from severe major depressive disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, eating disorders, and addiction. A surgical operation is required in order to place this brain-stimulating electrode deep into the reward region of the brain, the nucleus accumbens of patients. Damien explains his results of this electrical stimulation. The effects that we see, I mean, are immense. I mean, we're uh, struck by the huge decrease of symptoms. Uh, patients with OCD who, uh, for example, wash their hands, clean the house for 8 to 12, hour, 12 hours a day, within, uh, if you have the good settings, within a few hours, a few days, diminish their symptoms till they wash or clean 15 minutes. So for them, it's a huge improvement. It's a completely new life. So the brain st- stimulation offers us an opportunity in psychiatry to treat the these very, very ill patients who were refractory and had no other option than dying. And we're talking about electrical activity, but just for a comparison, you know, how much is it compared to the mains electrics, say, for example, 240 volts? Is it, is it as much as that? Are you really frazzling the brain with a huge electric impulse, or is it a smaller amount? No, no, it's much, much smaller. It's not nothing compared to electricity as we used to it in our houses or even electroconvulsive therapy. We talk about very small pulses, so short periods of time, microseconds of pulses of small voltages. So we talk about 1 volt, 2 volt, 3.5 volts voltage, and we give it at a frequency of 100 or 80 times a second uh, within, within small pulses. And how quickly do you start to see the behavioural changes in these patients that have had symptoms for so long? I mean, such, such severe symptoms for so long. Well, the, 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 one of the most fascinating things is that if you have uh, the good electrodes with the good target, so this is crucial, of course, you need to be at the good target, and you have found the good variables, the good settings, because you can change the voltage and the pulse width and the frequency. So, But if you have found them, you can see improvement within seconds and minutes. You see that anxiety decreases, that mood improves, patients get more motivated, have other sensory experiences, they experience light differently, colors and so on, and uh, after a while, obsessions decrease, and eventually compulsions completely um, uh, vanish. Thinking now about the ethical implications of these electrodes being inserted into your brain, I mean, some people might think that that's actually, well, it is, it's changing your brain activity, it's changing your personality, it's changing your very self. Is it any different from having a hip replacement? You know, what are the ethical implications that we have to think about with this new technology that is being tested right now? Uh, DBS has a huge impact on how we experience ourselves. Essentially, psychiatric disorders are more related to our own identity, how we perceive ourselves, how we function in the world. So obviously when you change these disorders and um, give patients a, a new life, you change identity and the self. So this raises a huge, I mean, important ethical issues that we think we should think about. So what happens when you, uh, for example, within a month change a very depressed patient into a normal patient? How will he cope with his family again? How will he experience his own life? 
life and his identity. Sometimes they change a little bit. So uh, these ethical issues are very important. We should take them in account uh, all the time, particularly with the history of psychosurgery and psychiatry in the past. Uh, we should take um, not just them in account, but uh, all, it's an ongoing duty for any psychiatrist, doctor, to think about uh, ethics and to involve as well the family in the treatment process. Closing today's roundup, a third technology that is offering a quick, inexpensive and accurate way of diagnosing learning difficulty disorders. This new genetic screening technique can be performed early on in life to help patients get the right diagnosis, treatment regimes and to help expectant parents prepare. Dr. Joris Veltman from Radboond University, the Netherlands, explains what the problems were with genetic screening for learning disability and how he's been making headway with this conundrum. Well, what you have to imagine that our genome is very big. So it's about 6 billion uh, nucleotides, and mutations in any one of these nucleotides can cause disease. So, uh, so far, we were only able to look at about one gene at a time in a patient with a genetic disease. So we really had to, to look and think about very hard like what gene to test. Uh, and the problem is that, especially with the more common forms of, of intellectual disability or autism, it really it may be about a 1,000 genes or so that can be mutated because, you know, really many genes play a role in our brain. So we, we really could not look at this. Um, and now uh, we have technology that allows us to, to uh, look at, at, let's say, variation uh, uh, in all of our genes. And that is really uh, allowing us to really look at, at, at mutations that can cause disease. And really we are now starting to identify the genes that can cause uh, intellectual disability in a, a really much faster way than we ever could before. And how does this new technology, this less time-consuming and less laborious technology actually work? How is it that you're, you're able to do it so much more quickly now? So there is actually two approaches. So what we, um, uh, what we do in the laboratory is we take the DNA from a patient, isolated from blood, and then we can actually enrich this DNA. So we fish out the 1% of the genome that is coding for protein. So those are, those are the parts that we look at at this moment. And after we fished out this 1% of the DNA, we actually uh, put it uh, into these, these, these next-generation sequencing uh, machines. These are really machines in which uh, millions of, of DNA fragments can be sequenced at the same time, uh, and they've been developed by all kinds of companies, and they really have speed up the, the, the whole DNA sequencing process. So that allows us to, with a, say, within a week, we can actually, from taking the DNA of the patient to having information about uh, all of the variation in, in all genes. Joris then compares the patient's genes with their unaffected parents' genes, since a large number of learning disability conditions are due to mutations occurring in the DNA of germlines, so in the parent's sperm or egg. The resultant child will contain the mutation, but the parent will not. This method is not only helping to diagnose children with learning disabilities, but also helping to identify novel genes involved in learning disability. And it turns out that males, in particular, are more likely to produce learning disability mutations than women. And as men get older, they are more likely to have a higher number of de novo mutations in their sperm, which would then be passed on to their child. So, one of the messages from this research, guys, perhaps don't leave it too late before you start reproducing. I'm Naked Scientist Dr Hannah Critchlow, giving you a snapshot of the third full day of the Federation of European Neuroscience Societies meeting. More extensive interviews with all of the scientists that I've spoken with will be published on the Naked Scientist website after the conference.